0: Hello, welcome to RH at Home. I'm Chad Clement, pastor here at Redemption Hill Church. And we're excited that you're joining us again today as we journey through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Last week's message, we concluded Ezra, and today and we're jumping right into the next book, the Old Testament, Nehemiah. Man, and I hope and pray that, that this will be, yes, con- Um, convicting and challenging but I really do pray this is a a blessing and an encouragement to you. I I really believe that that these things that we've been talking about man it is extremely relevant to a lot of the issues and things that we're facing today. Man I love how God's word works that way. Uh, How how it is relevant to today And, and it's just amazing when we look at it when we read it how we can use these things in our lives. And so, my prayer is that's what takes place. Uh, we're going to begin in chapter one of, of Nehemiah. And let me be, read the first three verses. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Amhekalah um, now it happened in the months of Shislev, in the twelfth or in the twentieth year, um, as, I have, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanai, one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And it's interesting that we have what really seems to be a continuing like cycle, um, as we went through Ezra, we, you know, we began in um, that first chapter under King Cyrus, this Persian king. Persians had taken over, defeated the Babylonians, and, and, and Cyrus comes in, and he offers the opportunity for whatever Jews that were present there in Babylon to return to their home, to Israel, to, to Jerusalem. And really, the idea was to go back and to rebuild the temple. And as we walk through Ezra, and man, if you missed it, I would encourage you—it's online. Go back and watch it. I think it will really be beneficial to to our study here in Nehemiah. But but they go, and in the first like six, seven chapters of Esther or of Ezra, we see this process that it took them of rebuilding the temple. And we saw a remnant, a small group, about fifty thousand. Of the two to three million Jews left to go back home and do these things, and it was great. It was awesome, and they, they they faced a lot of struggles, but God was with them. And even when they kind of turned their backs once again on the Lord, the Lord was still faithful and good to them. And so we saw that in as in, in the first beginning, the first half of Ezra. And then a few years pass. And we get in another wave, a second group of, of exiles, another remnant that, that leaves Babylon and comes back to Jerusalem. This under the leadership of Ezra. And Ezra you know, goes back to the temple, really with the purpose of kind of restoring God's law, the, the Bible, God's word but but also beginning like a revival within the people. So really the first part of Ezra we see them rebuilding the temple. The second portion of Ezra, we see like a revival amongst the people and when Ezra gets there great celebration, he's there first time able to worship in the temple. You know Ezra's a scribe like a pastor, so it must have been you know an amazing thing. And then he's confronted with a sin crisis and they deal with that thing head on and And just kind of a, Ezra kind of, you know, while it ends with, some may look at it as like a really hard, tough situation, we can also look at it as, man, how awesome is it that God's people, when faced with sin, responded in the right way. They got got their lives right once again with the Lord. They sought forgiveness, and they began to walk in right ways. Well, here we get, we fast forward a few years, and, and Nehemiah, is still kind of in underneath the Persian realm. And, and in here, it mentioned in, in verse end of verse 1, he was at Susa the citadel. It was kind of like the winter palace for the Persian king. Kind of neat, like the story of Esther, which is like the next book in the Bible, takes place there in Susa. I believe in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel has like a a dream there. That takes place in Susan. So kind of a neat little hub of of things that have happened. Well, in this location, we have this gentleman by the name of Nehemiah. We're gonna learn a little bit more about him as this, certainly as the book takes place. We get a a really kind of neat insight at the end of this chapter that we're gonna talk about. But it begins with, with this one man. and. His brother returns from a, a trip to, it mentions there, Judah back. He comes back from Jerusalem. And, and Jeremiah, Nehemiah is just asking, you know, how, how are things going? What's going on? And the report was honestly not a good report. It wasn't a glowing report. It was actually kind of a harsh, like sad report. That, you know, the report was, man, the place is in shambles. I mean, the people... Are struggling, and and um. To me, it's interesting because we've we've come as we arrive at Nehemiah. We're hundred and forty years or so into being back in Jerusalem. And not much seems to have changed. Like a temple's been rebuilt, but the rest of the land is in shambles. And the people, once again, are struggling. Man, you know, that's, it's hard for us, because I, I, or maybe we can, we, can, we can feel, we can empathize with Jerusalem, because oftentimes in our own lives, in my own life, It seems to be a life of cycles. I do well, and then I fall. I do well, and then I fall. And it feels like that's what we, as we go through Ezra, and as we arrive here in Nehemiah, that seems to be the cycle of of, of Israel. They're doing well. They're excited. A remnant is is taking great steps, steps of faith, and they fall. Another remnant comes in. Great steps of faith, and they fall. Notice the response that Nehemiah has. Verse 4, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He's broken. In all honesty, like, like this portion, and, and for, for almost the rest of this chapter, from, from verses like 5 through really verse 11, it's a prayer that Nehemiah has, a recorded prayer. And it's, to me, it's very, very reminiscent of Ezra's prayer that we covered a couple weeks ago. He receives this news, he's broken. And he's broken about the people. And, and he begins to pray. And it says there, I mean, he, he wept and mourned for days. Now, here it doesn't give us the length. It just says for days. And so if we read this and we continue on. We might just kind of assume, you know, two, three days, he's broken about this thing. He's crying and he's going. And, 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 and I might, my guess is several of us have had those experiences where I mean, we're broken about something. We're, we're deeply concerned about something. Like right now. In our current climate around us, like we certainly have, have families, have, have, have individuals and, and some of you who are watching this right now, like you're, you're, you or your family like are going through like a really difficult time, like personal to you. Maybe it's a, a job situation, maybe there's a health crisis. Maybe there's a struggle within your marriage or over your children, or something very specific to you. But we also have a time now where there's a lot of angst over things that are are pressing on our society as a whole. We have like this tsunami of issues that we're trying to navigate through. You know, in the midst of this pandemic that but, you know, we've been talking about, you know, we, we began hearing whispers in February. You know, the tidal wave came in in March. And, and here we are, really almost the middle of September. Man, and there's still like a lot of angst with this. A lot of deep concern over, over health. Well, you know, over being sick and maybe loved ones who are sick or have been sick. And there are a lot of people still that are really upset about the effects that this is having on our economy. How it's maybe, not even just looking at it from a, a national or, or a state level, but there's some of you who have been directly impacted financially. You know, the, your workplace may have eliminated your position because of the shutdowns. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of angst over over this coronavirus. We're, we're we're neck deep in the political climate right now. You know, some forty some odd days, fifty days until the next national election, and it's ripe right now. The the ads are on TV. You know, the, the the news networks are are all ramped up. Man, it doesn't take long. You can turn that thing on for 30 seconds and you can figure out which candidate they're supporting and which one they're not supporting. I mean, we see all sorts of mudslinging going on. And so we have that that we have to kind of work through. And man, as every election is is the most important election our nation is facing. It's where we're at. It's what's being told us. Man, I deeply believe that, uh, that, that it is important. Do not get me wrong, but, but, but every election now that we hear is the most important one our nation is facing. And so it ramps up our anxiety. Man, we live in a, a time with all the protests going on. We just live in a very polarized time. And so we're all faced, I believe, with bad news, hardship, difficulties in our land, maybe in our homes. And he goes, like Nehemiah instantly goes to, to prayer and says for days, now here's what's interesting. When we get to Nehemiah chapter 2 next week, we get to verse 1, and we realize that this, that those days, as I began to say before, we might, we might, be, we might be broken for a couple days, maybe a week. And this prayer that Nehemiah wrestles with, and folks, I mean, these, these, these are wrestling moments. I mean, he's fasting. He's, he's not eating food food, physical food, so he can try to feed himself spiritually. He's denying something he desires with the food, replacing it with time with the Lord. So there's a physical, emotional, and certainly spiritual struggle going on here. When we read that and we connect verse um, 4 to verse 1 of the second chapter of Nehemiah. We realize that that this took place for about four and a half months. Four and a half months of, of deep prayer, of weeping, of mourning, intense prayer. I don't deal well with, with patience. <laughs> I, I am one who desires and likes like instant answers. I don't like to have to wait. See, for me, the the between time is so hard. Yeah, I'm I'm good, I'm okay with praying, but but I really, my my heart's desire is by the time my prayer is over, I'd like to see it answered, and I'd like to see action steps taking place. I struggle with the continual cycle of, of, of the prayers, and it feels like there's... No immediate response or answer. Guys, what we have to understand is this. God is still at work. And God has plans. And we don't always, typically we don't understand those plans. We have to trust in Him and allow Him to reveal those things to us and then respond in that manner. So in the midst of these hard times, I just want to encourage you with this. Like, like, be faithful. And some of you have been on your knees and have been praying to God, begging for answers. And you don't feel like you've received those answers yet. Let me just encourage you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep seeking Him. And so we continue in this. And here's what's kind of cool. I think we get a little bit of a lesson on what our prayers should look like based on Nehemiah's prayer. All right, so, so let me just begin as we kind of go through this. And so, verse, verse five is where the prayer picks up. Um, and it says this it says, uh, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant. In steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And here's, here's as we get into the beginning of this prayer, I think there's a couple things that we need to just highlight here. It's so important because as, as, as Nehemiah is broken because of the news that he's received, the news from like their home, their homeland, like Jerusalem, like Israel. You know, deep concern about what's happening there. And he's broken, he's going before the Lord, he's seeking the Lord, and he begins, begins his prayer with this, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I mean he begins by magnifying God. He, he begins by, by, by even reminding himself how great and mighty, how amazing God is. You know that, that word awesome? Like today, we use it for so many things. I am so guilty of this. You know, if we end up having a conversation, I, I, I drop that word awesome a hundred times. We use awesome to describe pizza, we use awesome to describe everything, a football game, whatever, our children sometimes, <laughs> but we use the word awesome, but here, man, this the word was originally designed for God, because and when you look at the idea like in completeness, the idea of awesome is like it's so amazing, like nothing else can stand in, the, in, in a similar fashion as it, as God, and, 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 and so here we have Ezra, or Nehemiah facing bad news, hearing this stuff that's breaking him, and he goes to God, and he, he magnifies the Lord. He, he goes before him and it's like, God, you are so great, you are so mighty, you are so amazing. Man, you know what I think is important for us to, to remember? You know, the disciples asked Jesus to teach, to teach them how to pray. That's important. Like they didn't ask him for, hey, give us a one magical prayer that we can that we can utter and then get a, the response that we need. But instead they, so they asked, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And he gave him, he gave them like a model prayer, a template. It's in Matthew, and he said, Hallowed be thy name. That's how he began the prayer. It was the idea that, that we don't go before the God, but before God with just our request, but we go before God, being reminded of how good He is, how great He is, that being reminded that He is God. And you see, I think what, what happens for me in, in my life is that I don't have a problem running to God when there's a problem. but when I go before God, I magnify my problem and not God. See, even my prayers can be centered around, focused around about how great my problem is. And I oftentimes forget how great my God is. See, this is really important for us because if we go into prayer and we have this mindset that our problem is greater than our God, we are going to live miserable depressing frustrated lives see nehemiah knew that there was a real problem but you know what he understood he understood that god was greater than the problem so he begins his prayer by by magnifying god i want to challenge you Right now, those of you who have watched this friend, right I want to challenge you and no, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what the struggle is. I don't, I don't know what your broken walls are. But listen, God is greater. He is greater than all those problems. He is the same God who created the sun, the moon. All the stars, all the galaxies, with just a swipe of the finger, the Grand Canyon. He's a great and mighty God. And the issues, the struggle, the situation that you are facing, like, understand this. It is not greater than, above, or beyond God trust in him don't magnify your problem focus in on how great and mighty god is i believe that maybe that simple turn in thinking will do you a great good and and listen he goes on beyond just being this amazing god he he reminds like you you keep you keep covenants you, you keep your promises you're faithful As we're going to see here in a minute, like he's going to admit all their faults. He's going to admit their unfaithfulness. But he reminds God, like, you are so faithful to us. Even when we're faithless, you're faithful. I mean, you can't deny yourself, God. That's your character, that's who you are. Again, such a, a good thing for us in the midst of those storms, in the midst of those struggles, to be reminded that God is faithful. He, he, he will keep his promises, get into God's word, dig into God's word, discover all these promises. And if God's promised it, he will be faithful to it. And, and he, he goes even beyond that and he, and he says um, to that, and he goes in your steadfast love. Steadfast love. In those dark moments. We often feel isolated, alone, scared. And we're reminded here that God loves us. He loves you. That circumstance doesn't change it. Maybe some of you, you're facing a really difficult thing right now because of a decision you made. Now, can I, can I just remind you that God still loves you? He still loves you. And yet there might be consequences that come along with decisions that we've made and we, we may have to endure some struggles and that doesn't mean that the situation goes away instantly, but you know what? God still loves you. He is still faithful and He's still amazing. And... um. And so let's, let's go to verse like 6 through 7, because after he goes and, and he spends some time talking about how amazing God is and all those different things that magnify God over the problem in the situation, now he goes to the, the second portion, I think, of prayer. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I in my father's house have sinned. Uh, And then verse 7 says, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Look at that second part of that prayer. After, after magnifying God, after focusing in on how great He is, is confession. Again, I see this great, great bridge from this prayer to Ezra's prayer. If you recall, when we talked about Ezra, in that circumstance, that sin crisis that they were facing. Ezra was innocent. He wasn't participating in those things. Yet when he went before the Lord, broken in mourning, he asked God to forgive them of our iniquities. He included himself. Here we have this uh, this thing of of Nehemiah. He sees what's going on. Here's the report of what's taking place in Jerusalem. He's remember, he's in Susa. He's in a different area. He's in the, 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 the winter palace of the Persian king. And, and, and yet he's broken, and he says to forgive us the, of our He goes, he asks us, he's confessing the sins, middle of verse 6 says, which we have sinned. And then he even goes a step further: even I and my father's house have sinned. And he confesses our sins. Again, I think oftentimes we, we want to skip this process. We don't want to examine our lives, we don't want to spend the time getting things right with the Lord. Instead, we we treat Jesus like a genie in this bottle, that when there's a problem, there's a need, we grab it, we rub it, and we we want our three wishes. And then we want to be able to put that that lamp back on the shelf, live life like we normally do, like, 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 like everything, you know, not worry about that, not do anything, but then when another problem, another situation, another need arrives, we want to be able to grab the lamp, pull it off the shelf, blow the dust off, rub it again, and you get three more wishes. And that's how we tend to operate. Man, and and, and Nehemiah, like Ezra, broken over sin. Because they understood that a lot of the reason where they were at where they were was a result of sin they had been committing. Disobedience, unfaithfulness not following what God had, had commanded them to do. And again, we read the commandments, we think, here it is, it's nothing about keeping rules. You all we talked about this last time with Ezra. We want to focus in on the negative aspects of rules. We, we, we view them as being harsh. We, we view them as the, not being allowed to do certain things, like it harms us in some way. And the, and the reality is that God established commandments in order for us to glorify Him but the honest truth, it's for our good. It's for our good that He does these things. We see our sin clouds that. Our sin causes us not to be able to see how it is for our good. It's the silly illustration I use often. But but if the stove is hot, we tell our kids not to touch the stove. It's a For lack of better words, it's a command. We say, don't touch the stove. Not because we dislike our children. Not because we're trying to punish our children. Not not because we're trying to make their life hard or laborsome or difficult. Not because we're trying to limit their freedoms. It's because we don't want them to burn themselves. Right, and that's what we see in God's commandments. They're, They're for our good. But that inner rebellion within us fights against that oftentimes. And, and here we see this, this stance of, of Nehemiah of, of confessing to the Lord. Verse 8 says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them... Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make you to make now my name dwell there. Verse 10 says, They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And Nehemiah goes back and It's not that God needs a reminder. I think Nehemiah needs the reminder. Because he goes back there and he begins to kind of quote from from Moses. This reminder that like if the people choose to not keep the commandments, if the people choose not to follow the Lord, the Lord is simply going to spread them out, push them away. But he says there, but, but, but God, you said like your, your promise was if we commit ourselves to you, if we, if we, we follow you and we strive to, to do your commandments, that you're going to gather us together. See, my, my firmest belief is this. God doesn't desire to separate. God deeply desires to gather. He wants to pull those who love Him and are following Him together. In, in, in unity, in purpose, in mission, in love. It's His desire. And Nehemiah is reminding himself of that in the midst of this prayer. Verse 11 says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. To me, I find it amazing is when we get to the end of his prayer, that's when the request is is made. In the closing statement, the, the, the request is made. I and mean, he spends a lot, of, he spends time, more time dealing with how amazing, how great God is. He spends significantly more time dealing with confession of, of his sins, of the wrongdoings. And then he ends with his request. And his request is that, that he would be successful in the sight. And he says there, the sight of this man. Well, this man that he's referencing is King Artaxerxes. And look at how this verse ends. It says, after the prayers and he goes, now I was a cupbearer to the king. And we think this might, that's a tag-on sentence. It could have easily just ended with the end of the prayer. But we're given some insight into who Nehemiah was. The idea of a cupbearer. It seems weird to us today. I mean, does that mean he's he delivers the cups to the he, he's the one that makes the table for the king? I mean, is that what his job is? Now you see, back in these days, like he, he was in charge of, of, he would basically sample the, the wine, the drink, the food, before the king would, to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Right, so, so here, that's his job, but, but it was greater than just a, a, a taste tester. Really, what it boiled down to was, he, 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 would, he would come to a point where like, if you wanted access to the king, if you needed access to the king's chamber, you had to go through the cupbearer. In, in our day and age, it would almost be like being the, the chief of staff for the president of the United States. All right, so we're not just sampling foods, but this individual is gonna be extremely close to the king. This individual is going to be a a, a person that the king would absolutely trust. I mean, to the point where he's he's entrusting his life in this individual. He's going to have this this individual, this cupbearer, is going to be chosen. He's going to have um, the inside um, scoop to the king. This this individual right here, guys, he's going to have a, a pretty good life. He's going to live in the palace. He's going to be very affluent. He's going to have access to probably whatever he wants. I mean, he's going to be a person of of means of wealth. And folks, I want you guys to understand this. He's not a pastor. He's not a religious leader. He's not a priest. Here's a man who has a, uh, what we would consider a very successful, desirable job. And what he realized was there's no separation between what he believed and where he worked. That his first and foremost focus Was God. So I think today we tend to segment things. We want to separate areas of our lives. We want to separate where we work with what we believe. Like we want to separate work and church. Sometimes we even we even will view this picture like like this is my job. I do my work to make my money. I tithe the church. It's the pastor's responsibility to go and to share the gospel and do these things. See, Nehemiah understand that there's a great task ahead. And he was going to use the position that God had placed him in and leverage that to do God's work. See, I want everyone to understand this. God has placed you and me in a particular place for a reason. Like He's planted you in the neighborhood that you live in, the home where you reside, the neighbors that you have surrounding you for a purpose. God has placed you in the position that you have your vocation or, or, or maybe you don't even have a vocation, maybe maybe you're raising children. Like God has given you those networks for a reason, for a purpose. I mean, when we look at we think through all these different things, all these different times. Remember, Joseph? Remember the great famine? God placed him there in Egypt for a purpose. And he used that to glorify God. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to begin to try to think of the job, the situation, the place that God has placed you. I want you to begin to pray and ask him to allow you to use that for the kingdom see that's exactly what nehemiah does he is praying he has to go before that man the king understand this even in that time even with his 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 position that he had he couldn't speak to the king unless the king spoke to him if he crossed the king the king could do whatever he desired to do the only way he was going to be able to accomplish What he wanted to do is that the king would grant him permission to do it. And so he's praying to God, asking God, God, uh, be with this man, like like, like work in him, like give me opportunity, help me to to see when I need to act or do what I need to do or when the doors are open, help me to see it and and take action. He wasn't afraid to leverage that, man. What we're going to see coming up here, guys, is he's going to take advantage of that And what laid rest for 140 plus years, where it looked like no one could do anything, where no one could accomplish I don't want to, here comes a spoiler alert, but Nehemiah is going to go and rebuild that wall in 52 days. Nehemiah is going to leave luxury, leave comfort for disarray. for rubble, for struggle, for hardship. But he's going to accomplish some amazing things for God. So I hope that this will encourage you. I hope I hope right now you begin to pray and ask God how He can use you where you're at. I believe God is... is Is preparing us for great, mighty, amazing things. Yes, this season is hard that we're in. It's difficult. I want to encourage you, man, let's all get on our knees and begin to pray before the Lord, asking Him to help us, to show us, to give us strength, to give us wisdom, to use where He has placed us, use what He has given us for His glory. for His his good and our good. Maybe you view this in a little bit different. When we talk about broken walls, you're not just thinking of our society, our nation. You're not thinking pandemic. You're not thinking protest. You're not thinking politics. And there's something in your life that It's caused those walls to come crumbling down. Please don't forget this. God is amazing. He's awesome. He is faithful. And His love is steadfast. Get on your knees. Pray to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. Maybe there's areas in your life, maybe you've never given your life to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you of those sins. Come into your life, become your savior. Maybe that's where we have to start. That you ask, you ask him, that you give your life to Jesus. Right now, there's at the bottom of your screen. There should be my email address. If you made a decision, no matter what it is, or maybe. There's a need that you just would like someone to pray alongside you about. I'd be honored if you, if you sent me an email. We're not going to force a bunch of stuff on you. We're not going to push you with whatever. We just want to be a blessing to you and be a resource to you if you need it. I love you guys. I'll see you soon.